We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we have for you in the intellectual lightweight division 12 rounds tonight between two men who will be contesting the worthiness of Francis Coughlin to be in the Arsenal squad. In this corner, he's like the king of metaphors. It's pausing in my pants. Hello, pause. Like the king of metaphors. And in this corner, arguing in favor of truth, light, and justice, it is Elliot Yankee Gunner Smith. You can block him on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Thank you, thank you, thank you, everybody. Thank you. And officiating our match tonight is Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello. Break it up, you two. Let's get ready to rumble. Okay, that was awful. But this is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you know where you can block me already, so let's get right into it. All right, Paul. How bad was Francis Coughlin? Let's not start there. Can't we? All right, how about this? I, I actually have a whole rundown for this pod, which is pretty remarkable. Uh, and we will want to get to the small matter of the uh, possible end of Tim's life at White Hart Lane uh, this coming weekend. So we will want to discuss that. It's a risk that. I'm willing to take. Elliot. So here's the thing, right? We, we stuck with the back three. But we made some changes, and the changes overall, I don't think any one of them individually would necessarily be a problem, but were you concerned that overall the effect would be to reduce the technical quality in the side and thereby the ability to unlock Leicester's two banks of four? Moi? You, yeah, toi. Toi, okay. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think when you look at a few of those, obviously we well, lost. Let's just off, read them out real so quick, right? I mean, Giroud for Theo, you know, can, yeah. neither, neither here nor there maybe, but Bellerin instead of Ox, you know, certainly impacts the the attack inside the ball. Cochrane instead of Ramsey, I think is a big difference. And Gibbs instead of Nacho, Nacho moving to one of the three center back positions and vacating the left wing back. So all of those changes in totality, you could argue, you know, reduction in technical and attacking quality, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, across the bar. I thought uh, w- we had a little WhatsApp conversation yesterday, but I thought Gibbs <laughs> overall, obviously everybody could see he did quite a lot of good things. And I think overall he was an asset, but uh, Nacho has kind of been spectacular in that position. And, it's like a confidence uh, switch went off for him in general, though. He just he just looks like a totally revitalized player. Yeah, yeah, he's great. Um, and I, uh, maybe we can talk about that a bit more i mean a few people seem to have popped into 3d with this formation i mean it's really you can see how it really serves certain players and gives us 
certain areas of strength on the pitch. Uh, I particularly like our options. And, you know, we now have five centre backs, I would argue, um, who can play in that formation and look good. Um, at least theoretically, two wing backs on each side who should be able to shine um, and choices as to who plays ahead of whom and, you know, options up front with Welbeck and Alexis. So, um, I mean, there's a lot to be excited about it. The, the, the only thing I'm, I'm cautious about is I don't think Arson, I think Arson's half-hearted about his excitement about the formation and he's he's made it clear it's kind of a a, a sleight of hand a, a trick of the light to to instill confidence and to shore things up temporarily but hopefully he's i guess my feeling on it at the moment is that he's he ends up being stuck with this and it it forces his hand for the rest of the season because uh, i've about as a, a much confidence in us uh, in the run-in with the four-two-three-one at the moment, as the rest of the team has, and therefore hopefully him. So yeah, I, I, I think it for I hope it forces it his hand. I, I got a massive erection. Well, I mean, by my standards, a massive erection watching Arsene Wenger signal switch to a back four as we brought in substitutes great. late in the game, and you're thinking we're doing tactics, baby. He's back. <laughs> it was awesome. Um, though he, re- though to be fair, he really should have put up two fingers because that was all we were ever yeah, going to no, keep. We'll, at the we'll back. come to that. We'll come to that because yeah. we were definitely a lot more open when that happened, Tim. Um, obviously, a word from you first on sort of the changes he made and how that affected mm. our technical quality in the in the attacking half. Yeah, I, th- I thought there was some slightly awkward um, rotation, and this is one of my bones of contention with Arsene Wenger is that he, um, you know, he he gets a system in his head, and then that's kind of it. Uh, albeit, I, I completely agree with what Paul said, and, that, and in fact, I've written almost exactly what Paul said. I've, I've written about, and it's been published tonight. I.e., this was supposed I to be think, a one-on-one fight, not a two-on-one fight. <laughs> that I I think that we'll that we'll keep with this formation till the end of the season unless it really gets picked apart by someone and you know we have the crisis of confidence but I don't think we'll start with it in August it's it's I think a short-term measure but yeah there, there were a couple of kind of square pegs really I th- you know Coquelin did what he does well enough and acquitted himself well enough but you know I, he thrives on games that don't have a lot of structure he's a you know to quote the joker an agent of chaos and actually this system doesn't really call for that that much i think el nenny or even chamberlain in a central midfield role um a next to in this system uh, well it will be i think a little bit higher up the pitch and um yeah so you know Cochlea, but you know he, he he did all right but and then there was theo who always seemed like an awkward fit right from the off um didn't seem to know whether he was supposed to be on the right, a strike partner for Alexis or playing behind him and ended up doing none of those things. And in a game where Leicester were expressly trying to push us into wide areas um, to isolate our striker, who was Alexis in, in this scenario, having basically Walcott and Bellerin standing on each other's toes on the right-hand side was just a little bit senseless, really. And, and Theo looked... As I, you know, I think we've said this before. A lot of people have said this. To be fair, that there doesn't really seem to be a role for him in this system, and I think the Leicester game really proved that. To be honest, it felt like a bit of an awkward fit. And um, although, to be fair, you know, Alexis, I'm not sure how far it is that he just had quite a poor game by his standards, um, but he did look pretty isolated without two proper number tens behind him like joining in with him and, and kind of helping him out and it, it kind of made us quite easy to defend for Leicester so yeah I, I think it was a little bit awkward but what I will say is that you know the three at the back what it really helped with is what is Leicester's weapon well it's the count is the long ball to Jamie long ball, Vardy, the counter. The counter there was no back. space for it they couldn't get out exactly. I mean I heard people saying I can't believe how deep Leicester sat they were so they had so little impetus they they parked the bus I don't think this was any different it's just we used to be so easy to open up with one long ball up the yeah. pitch and and we saw that against Palace if it, the three at the back has done anything it's closed that door Indeed, and, and then people, if I can just throw in a bone there to you, Tim, when people say we played really poorly and blah blah blah, uh, I, I mean I kind of get that, but on the other hand, there are aspects in which we played really well in this game, 
to bottle it down their far end. And yes, we were, I would say, very poor in the final sixth. But but in some sense, the game plan worked really, really well. Tim? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the, the, the build-up was kind of okay. But Ozil looked like a guy who'd run himself into the ground at Wembley. Alexis looked a little bit like that. Walcott looked a little bit lost. I think, you know, I think we missed the Ox. But um, I, the one thing I'll say is, you know, we switched then back to the kind of 4-2-3-1 thing at the end. And um, and by this point, Leicester, and, and that, you know, that does leave you more open again to the counter. But by that point, Leicester were a bit too tired to do it. Um, so from, from that point of view, you know, you can say that basically this system was solid um, for 70-odd minutes. Uh, we never looked in danger of conceding a goal, never looked vulnerable to the counter. And then when we needed the goal, we changed it and we got the goal. I mean, to be honest, I think it was fair, all fairly fortuitous. But uh, nevertheless, those are the facts of the scenario. So, you know, and, and isn't that what we wanted for quite some time, for Arsenal to be tactically flexible? And, you know, I think I said on the last podcast, the thing I like about this back three is not necessarily that it might become our formation in perpetuity but it's just nice to have the option and for particular games and to be able to change in game which is what we did last night and that's that's one of the advantages of of trying something new yeah and i mean i look i don't think we were poor in this game per se i think we made a lot of changes that we're still seeing challenges with our fluency in attack I think the first job for this system is to close up that that gaping hole in our back, yuck, um, that you know was exploited by long yuck balls, um, and and now it's it it's been shut, which is great and great for the analogy, but um, uh, and a big hairy vagina. Uh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's not even a oh, metaphor analogy. Uh, it's just sorry. I'm not. I didn't know what we were doing here, Elliot. I, I've screwed it all up. Yes, you certainly have. Uh, but so, I mean, you know, I, I think we played well enough. And where I think you could contrast our play, we'll get to Alexis because he had a really poor game, certainly by his standards and maybe by any standards. And we can go into why that is and why he maybe is the the player most struggling with the system change to some extent. Um, but. Well, let me stay with you just for a second, Tim. I think if we're going to start with the positives, then one player who seems to be starting to grow into this system and really developing into potentially a star for us, and, and you know, I, it's easy to go overboard, but is Granit Xhaka, who I thought was tremendous in this game. Um, his positioning is better. His range of passing is better. What did you make of his performance? Yeah, I, th- I thought he had a decent game as well. I think... Um... Again, just having that three centre-halves in behind, it, it doesn't mean it's panic stations every time someone takes him on or threatens to go around him. Um, you know, he's not kind of swivelling and looking back at acres and acres of grass. He's got, you know, three centre-halves there um, playing a little bit closer to him. I think it just probably makes the angles a little bit nicer for him to receive the ball as well, just to have that extra body back there. And the wing backs give him a couple of extra outlets because, you know, effectively, what are the, I mean, we call calling them wing backs, but effectively they're wide midfielders. You know, this is this is very much a three, four, two, one. So it's like a midfield four with, uh, you know, the wing backs are effectively wingers who are, who are going forward. And, um, you know, the inside forwards are really tucking in. So it just gives him it's almost like putting not half an extra player on the pitch for him. He's got one extra guy to receive the ball from with three centre-halves. And, you know, with both full-backs being able to commit at the same time, he's got one extra person to pass to. So mm-hmm. um, I think, I think yeah, he could be a very key beneficiary of the system. That said, um, you know, I, I think it would have to be tested in a few scenarios perhaps where... You know, players really run at us. We've been very, very susceptible to the dribble this year. Yaya, you know, made some hay with it at Wembley, and this is a, a Yaya Toure that's creaking, really. I still think um, on the dribble, when he when he has it in mind to take players on, he's one of the hardest people to get the ball off of. I, yeah. I, you know, there are a lot of excellent midfielders and defenders who find that difficult to, to live with. Yeah, and we, we've been especially susceptible to that this year. Um, players kind of 
running at us because the likes of Xhaka, Elneny, Ramsey, that they're a little bit easy to go past um, on the ball, and it's a, a bit of a problem we've got. So, um, you know, I, I still harbour that little doubt. But again, having an extra centre half in behind, you know, it, it just it, it, it means it also means he sense, doesn't really. have to dive in, right? I mean, I think the, yeah. I, I know he got a petulant red car, uh, yellow card late, but like if you know that it's not. 30 yards of green grass behind you as much you can breathe a little easier about you're not making crisis interventions right if that yeah, makes exactly. sense yeah um yeah. so so paul let's stay on chaka just for one second though because i think one of the things we do see as a limitation he's not going to be the man off the dribble and i don't know if he has forgive me but what sesk had or you know what ozil does have which is that through ball that over the top ball straight ball to to unlock a, a defense i think he has a good build up pass you know an intermediate pass um the ability to spray the ball in a good wide positions to break lines i don't know if he has the final ball and when he did step up into the attacking third he still has the urge to go laterally or spray it he's not as much into the through ball into the final ball and he also isn't going to dribble and so I guess, is this really where we miss Santi Cazorla? Because there were, there were a lot of situations against Leicester where there was one man who would step up on Nakaklin or on Tushaka, and the move was to just give the ball sideways. And you could see that if they could just get around that man, that then there was space to attack and run into and create openings. And, you know, that a lot of that role fell to Alexis, and he wasn't able to pull it off on the day. But is, is what we're really missing in Shaka or in midfield right now that player who can get around the first challenge and then create mismatches uh, in the attacking third. Paul. Hello, Paul. Paul, please please come back. We haven't even had our Cochlin fight yet. Hello, can you not hear me? I can hear you now. I can hear you now, and I want an answer to my question. Damn it, we're ramping up the rhetoric here. Go for it. three options, Santi comes back from the dead. Uh... The Ox, but he's better on the wing because he's great in midfield, uh, but he's superb on the wing at the moment. He may not always be great going forward, but right now he's a bit world class on the wing. I'd love to see and, him as one of those midfield too. I mean, I you know, I, yeah. I just I want to see someone who's willing to take on a man to yeah. get in the attacking third with with that extra extra attacking advantage. Yeah, and then you know we saw Ramsey and Chaka putting on a pretty credible performance against City, I think, overall, and certainly showing signs of it. And I think a fully informed, fully fit Ramsey gives us an option. And, you know, some of the downside of Jack and Ramsey was how porous our midfield was. Well, that's why you play three centre-backs. So, um, And it gives them more angles and more options to kind of uh, play their way out when they're they're getting pressed, so uh, I'm not fully convinced about that. But but I think that ha- potentially has a lo- lot of mileage. So without Cazorla and with Ox preferred on the wing, because that's where he's most dangerous, uh, you got to give Ramsey a good look there and see see what he can do. I mean, that's his game: bombing forward well, from yes. midfield, yes. but leaving us exposed. Um, and I, I want to add something to that because I want I want to get your opinion on this. I think this is where pairing Shaka with Coughlin is also problematic in one respect, which is that Ramsey's instinct when he gets in the attacking third, when he gives the ball, is to keep running into the box. Now, putting aside how that yeah. can leave us vulnerable at the back, I understand that. But he will make that extra man in the box. He will make that extra run. Um, Shaka stops about 20 yards from goal, and you'll never see him go fur- further than that. He has no instinct, desire, or maybe it's partly instruction, to go into the box. And Coughlin, even though we kind of sort of saw him do it a little bit, not as effective yeah, in did. that range. I, I mean, yep. regardless of whether he does it or not. So is that really the issue that... With Shaka, you really do have that deep-lying playmaker, that guy who can break the lines and start the buildup. But because he won't finish the runs or make the killer final ball, you have to have someone next to him who will do one or the other. Yes. Awesome. Um, okay, I, mean, so- I mean, you can see why you can see why Ramsey would be a tantalizing option if it works the way it should. Um, we're just. You know, the the NLD is coming up and we'll talk about that. But, you know, is he ready? Is that ready? Is he fit enough? Uh, to me, you know, my position on Ramsey is he looks bog average, bog ordinary. 
until he's fully played in and fully fit. Now, he looked like he might be pretty much there in the, with the City game, and he's been rested for this. So maybe that's the Ramsey we'll see in the NLD. And, uh, I mean, he played last time out at, in the NLD at White Hart Lane last year, and we gave them a damn good uh, uh, game and a damn good derby performance, even though, you know, we went down to 10 men. I mean, we absolutely matched them with in, intensity and work rate and stuff. So um, I, I think it's going to be intriguing. But, you know, Ramsey, if he's there, it seems a little early for him to really be right back to his best. And we we rarely see it because he never stays fit long enough. But if he's there, that could be a tantalizing pairing Yeah, with the three at the back. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I, I think that this was a game that was crying out for either one extra runner into the box or one more player who could play that final ball. I think, obviously, there were other problems. There was Bellerin. Uh, Tim touched on it. Bellerin and, and uh, uh, Theo kind of occupying the same space. Maybe both of them learning the roles in this new system. Bellerin, where to be as a right wing back, and Theo, where to be um, just in general. Tim, we'll come to one more thing before Paul and I have our, our big battle royal. This is the, the undercard or whatever they call it, the, the opening rounds. Um, I thought in the early part of the game, we um, we struggled somewhat, but we did get into some decent positions. Gibbs got to the end line a few times and the delivery was wanting. There, there were some, some chances to, to put balls into good spaces. It wasn't coming off, but the player that really seems to be struggling a little bit with this formation in general and on the day is Alexis Sanchez, whose ball control has gone from shaky even when he's in form to really, really poor. And my sort of hypothesis, some people I've seen posit that he's just played a lot this season and his physical level is dropping, which is totally understandable. Um, and he doesn't have that explosion in the dribble to, to get past players now, so they're nicking it off of him. But what I would say is in this system, he seems to be coming just that little bit deeper. His dribbles are coming just that little bit deeper, and he's coming into a place now where the midfield can come back to bracket him with the defense instead of being just far enough forward to be taking on defenders. He, he's coming into that area where, where there's more players bracketing him, and that makes it harder for him to execute those moves. What's your theory on Alexis's struggles vis-a-vis the new system and in the game, and then how would you try to jumpstart him form-wise? Because obviously... You know, it's great that he's he's popping up with decisive moments, um, but we need him to be decisive throughout the game. Yeah, I, I think um, in the three games we've used it, he's pretty much played three different roles. So against Middlesbrough, he was very much um, behind Giroud and, you know, run, trying to run off of him and into the area. And then against Man City, you know, he had to play a much more disciplined role. And he was ve- he was very wide against Manchester City, particularly when we were off the ball. He was... He was right on the left touchline, um, kind of tucking in, uh, not tucking in, sorry, but like really staying wide. And then this time he played up front. So I think there's an element to which he's played three different roles. I do think there's probably an element to which he's played an awful lot of football this year. It looked, you know, uh, against Leicester, particularly just a very tired performance. He was giving the ball away a lot more than he usually does, um, which is still quite a quite a bit to be honest um but i mean i i still uh, my preference is for him to play up front but with the correct support around him um so that means either you know Welbeck to the left of him or i i still think that my preference is um Ozil and ramsey in the two behind him. i love that yep i love yeah that. so we can get ramsey forwards and then um, would you put ox in midfield and make bellerin your right wing back yeah, yeah, I, I do like the sound of that. I, and I think, you know, Chamberlain coming forward, and Chamberlain was a big piece we missed last night because he commits players with his dribbling, he takes players on. And I think particularly when you're playing a team like Leicester, um, who are very compact and sitting very deep, that's very, very important. But, you know, he he nearly, very, very nearly at the end of the first half, um, you know, one of his only really positive contributions of the game was that sh- lovely shot that hit the bar and you know we we could easily had that gone in I still think the game probably would have finished one nil um and I think we'd be talking about that as the winning goal and we'd be talking about that as kind of a vindication of what we were saying on the last podcast i.e put him between the width of the goalposts 
um, and some of his inefficiencies, you know, really kind of drift away, um, or sorry, they become less important. Um, you know, I don't know if you watched. We're recording this shortly after the Manchester derby, and you watch someone like Aguero, and Aguero is not as efficient as you think he is, um, and neither Suarez when you watch him, and, and Alexis is cut very much from the same cloth as those two. He's he will give the ball away a lot. Um, Suarez does it through dribbling. Um, he tries to take players on all the time and quite often is unsuccessful. But he'll go back and do it again, again and again and again and again. And one time he'll get through and he'll score a goal. And, that, you know, that's that's kind of the player that Alexis is as well. He will give the ball away quite a bit, but he'll score you a goal or make you a goal. And he's still in what I think was possibly his... You know, one of, if not his worst performance of the season, he still produced, you know, uh, the best piece of play in the game. Um, Beats a man on his right foot from that left channel at the top of the box. Indeed, and curls a shot to the that, top. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and probably the second best play of the game as well when um, he stood in front of the Fuchs. Throw in uh, with a delightful piece of shit. You want to take a quick minute to to tell me <laughs> to walk me through? I mean. I mean, I love his. In- he posted on uh, on social media later, like a swollen lip, which I'm convinced he just got one of his dogs to bite his lip for him. But like, because um, uh, we know he makes out with them anyway. But like, like, is, that's got to be a red card, right? You can't just. I don't care if you're not yeah. with like like. Let's say I don't go ten yards back, right where the wall's supposed to go yeah. for a free kick. The ref's job yeah, is to tell back. me to go ten yards back. But yeah. if I'm standing directly in front of the free kick. You can't pick the ball up and throw it in my face. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> it was, it was, it was so weird because about I think just before our goal, actually, um, I, I, you know, guy I sit with, I said, I actually think referees had a decent game tonight. I think you know, it's not been a terribly difficult game to referee, but he's got most things right, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought Jacka's booking was pretty soft, um, but then he seemed to completely lose his mind in the last two or three well, the minutes. Well, like, the Ben Luan on, on Giroud thing Yeah, yeah, and Huth as well. Um, yep. You know, he'd just been booked, and he absolutely threw Alexis to the ground. And when you look at what Granite Jacker was booked for, and I know that's become like the meme of the season, <laughs> but, it, it, but it, it's only because, I only say that because Jacker committed a fairly similar foul, but with about a tenth of the force that Huth did, and he got booked. And uh, it was absolutely, it was, it was insane. It was just, it was so weird. It was, it was such, it was a fairly dull and dreary game, and the referee had been fairly decent. And then it just completely exploded in injury time. And Casper uh, Schmeichel was a picture. He was literally hopping mad. It was so loved funny. every minute of it. It was brilliant. And you know, look, I, I think one thing that people forget is, and this is why we rang, rang the changes, but we had played 120 minutes on Sunday. Um, hmm. And a very emotional 120 minutes, and it's towards the tail this end. This was of, never of the going season. to be yeah. like a flowing, brilliant performance. It was never going to be that changes or none. If we'd made no changes, you know, it might have even been worse given the fatigue levels. So yeah. I think. And could, and could Leicester have been any more negative? I mean, I, I know yeah. this is their style, but I mean, this was the extreme of extremes. I mean, they literally camped in their six-yard box. I'll tell you what. Like, I mean, there were a few instances where Mares got it, and he he looked sort of different gravy from the rest of their players. But like, I think it must have been surprised because if they watched us against Palace, they would have thought we can. And realizing that we didn't play the same system against Palace, but like, we could just kick it long and run at us all day long. They'd be licking their chops, and they could not get the ball out to those those attackers from the long balls and I think you know look at at a minimum when you played 120 minutes a couple days before first don't let the opposition have a lead to protect right like keep it nil nil and trust that you can wear them down and get that chance and ultimately it came from Nacho I think Paul it is it is time for the main event Ah. Um, I don't want to berate the guy because I just think it's it's kind of pointless but explain to me what you saw Coughlin do in this game. That, are you, so instead of taking it from the standpoint of why he deserves to be slated, because it's not that he did anything wrong. It's the absence of positive contribution. Because, like, for example, Alexis did more things wrong than Coughlin in this game by a wide margin. But tell me the things you think he contributed that were creditworthy in this match. 
So I think part of the issue is that uh, if you treat him as as it, if you take an average and you take a straight line of his performance, that's not really how it was. There was some good stuff, and there was a period where he was, to me, he was utter garbage for about 15, 20 minutes. I was that's fair, and that could, be bi- that could be confirmation bias then when you see that 15, 20-minute period, and you're like, oh, he's garbage, and that's kind of all you focus on. I will acknowledge yeah, I didn't, that, that there there's some of that. There was a period of time where I was like sick in my stomach because I know I'm associated with the guy, and I wanted to pretend <laughs> I'd never seen him before. There was some it aggressive was- subtweeting about you going on during the game, I assure you. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, uh, from that standpoint, I I get that. But if that visceral reaction is all anybody holds on to for that game, then it explains the outburst on him. That wasn't his whole game. He started off – now, he wasn't suited to this game. Um, but if you were going to pick him, you probably thought Leicester were going to do a lot more against us than they did. I mean, when we went to play them at the start of the season at their place, that was a pretty fucking even even game. Now, yes, it was at their place. Um, when they played us last year at our place, uh, that was a pretty even... Uh, well, it wasn't even even. They were arguably the better team and came at us, even if it's a variation on the same theme. So, uh, short version, I would have expected, the manager, I'm sure, would have expected a hell of a lot more fight, a hell of, of a lot more enterprise, and a, some combination of... Uh, Leicester saying we're going to really fucking dig in here uh, because they're playing a defensive lineup and see and see if that confuses them. And us, as we said, playing a little too brilliantly with the three at the back so that we smothered them um, every time they they even looked at getting out of their their third, let alone half. I don't think there was much left for Cockland to do, which was a little rough. Now that certainly reflects on him not being the most uh, flexible player in the world. What did he do good? Actually, quite a lot. I think you could put together a half-decent highlight clip. Uh, He beat players. He he did a lot of laying off passes, which I've no real issue to if he lays them off to good players. And he's certainly tuned in to try and do that, get it quickly to Chaka or Ozil or whoever. I don't really have a problem with that if he... If he's just one corner triangle and he moves it on, uh, he did. He had a few clever pla- passes. He broke the lines once or twice. You know, sometimes by physicality, sometimes by accident, but it doesn't really matter. It's certainly very him. I think you could put together a half decent highlight reel. He he wasn't just meh, didn't do anything. You know, the the, the challenge with El Nenny is if I'm going to take a, a I, there's quite a lot I like about the guy, and I I like him in particular a lot. But he's a bit meh. He's just a bit knocks it around. No, I get you. I don't know that that holding up El Nenny and saying because there's some equivalency between him and Coughlin that that makes Coughlin valuable. I I mean, you you may be raising the question of the value of El Nenny, but I don't think that's necessarily a salvage point for for Coughlin. No. So my bottom line on Coughlin is... Do I think he's good enough for our squad if our squad squad was good enough to win the league? Uh, Probably not. Um, But I don't think he was totally shit. I don't think he was even... uh, This was not a great game for him. So on that sense, he might have been a bit below average. Uh, But I don't think he was the real issue, except if he kept Kazorla out of the team. Or Ramsey was fully fit, or he was played ahead of Ox. I get your point. Yeah, no, I, I get that. I don't think he's keeping someone out right now who should have been playing and was better. I, I mean, yeah, it's pretty. And, cl- and he is, yeah, he is. Uh, he is part of the problem in that you wanted, you needed that other player beside Jacka for for a variety of different reasons. So I do see him as part of the issue as to why we played, paid was less than effective in the final third sixth of the game. But that's not the same as saying he was shit, useless, didn't do anything, if you know what I mean. I think it was awful for about 15 minutes. Absolutely abysmal. But actually did quite a lot of good things. He did have one particularly comic moment where from about 20 yards out, he tried to chip the back line to play in. I don't know if it was Theo or Beller who chipped it like over the end line. It wasn't particularly great. But, uh, Tim, before I I give you sort of my take, and it won't be a rant. It'll just be a take. Uh, Not even that hot, tepid take on Coughlin. Um, I know in the back channel WhatsApp group, you sort of defended him as being perfectly fine. You want to continue that here in public where everyone can hear you? 
yeah, yeah. I, I, I actually agree with what Paul said there. I, I think um, there were, you know, quite a lot of ball, reco- ball recoveries, quite a lot of 50-50s won. I think particularly in the first half, you know, from a defensive point of view, he was quite useful. Um, obviously, as the game wore on, Leicester's, you know, Leicester didn't start with much ambition and they finished with even less. Um, and obviously, as that situation progressed, he became less and less useful. But I think in the first kind of 30 minutes, when the teams were feeling each other out a little bit, he was he was useful in that respect. He was um, perhaps you know, too effective, I say facetiously. But, you know, if, it, if his, to your point, Tim, if his job was to help snuff things out in midfield and there wasn't a lot to snuff out, it's like, yeah. whoops. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. He 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 did what was needed, but just as the game progressed, he he was needed less and less and less. And I, I just think that's going to be a theme if we're using this formation, and particularly if we're using this formation against a team like that. I think maybe he was expecting Okazaki to start instead of uh, Robert Ojoa, and Okazaki, you know, is very very wiry. He's he's pretty relentless. Um, he's quite good in the dribble so he probably wanted someone there to be a little bit more secure not so easy to dribble past um and you know he got that wrong because Ajoa played that role instead and he's nowhere near as mobile and you know frankly nowhere near as good um so yeah I, th- I think I, I think he he did you know he he executed all of his attributes that we know he has it's just that his attributes weren't particularly useful and they became less useful and yes there were times you know when he you know he's trying to hit crossfield balls and you just think come on that's not um, in your locker. <laughs> what are you doing? Well, yeah. let me ask you this uh, before I sort of give my, my take on it. I mean, the first change was Welbeck for Gibbs, and we switched to the back four. I didn't think that the back three was the problem at the time. I didn't think we were struggling that much to get into the, the final third. We were struggling to pick the lock within the final third. Did that surprise you? I mean, could, could the change there have just been to pull Coughlin out and bring in a Ramsey or, you know, bring in some additional midfield creativity and attacking force to see first if adding that extra attacking body in midfield could make the difference? Or, or were you fine yeah. with the switch to the back four there? I was. I, I thought that that was what was going to happen. I just automatically assumed it's nil-nil. There's 20 minutes to go. It's going to be Coughlin because it usually is. And, and I'd have been all right with that. I, I was I was all right with the decision to take Gibbs off because I think he was um, completely ineffective, um, to be honest. And you know, I, he just looks desperately, desperately like someone that needs to go to another football club and do something else with his career. Well, if he wasn't doing well um, at left back, I think we can agree that left wing back is not a fit for him. But I, the thing is, I think, given what his actual attributes and qualities are, it should be a good fit, and that that's why. It, it should be quite worrying because you think him, he has more he in his bag in in yeah, the attacking yeah. half than defensively. I've, I've I've never thought he's much more than a seven out of ten left back. Um, but I I you know I've thought to myself, well, if he played at left wing back, he could be a seven and a half or an eight. Um, but I mean, but, he was. But didn't he, was very he do a pretty good stick. job getting up there on the wing, getting in crosses? Well, that was the problem. He his, his end he didn't product. Have a center forward. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the problem, though. He 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 didn't. I don't think his decision making with the ball in the attacking third was what you needed to be and to be fair I don't know that Bellerin's was either yeah but but if you're Gibbs you're going to do one thing you're going to get to the byline and you're going to put in crosses into the you know into the mixer and we had zero in the mixer you know Theo wasn't there Sanchez was vacating but like there were there the were building. pullback opportunities where he played it you know whipped it in low and to the near post and there were you know yeah, anyway, look, I, you can pick that stuff apart. I think, I think to play him on the wing, uh, to Tim's point, if he doesn't shine in that position, then what's he good for? But if you play him in that position, give him somebody to hit. Fair enough. Yeah, uh, well, I, all right, so I, keep, keep going. I take Tim, that sorry. point, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I take that point. There were, uh, particularly in the first half an hour, yeah, yeah, there were times he got to the byline and you think, well, if Giroud's in there, you know, maybe he's he's got a bit more yeah. to hit. But then, well, and, you know... Putting putting it in the area when you've got Alexis up front and they've got Robert Huth in central defence is is not a tactic that's going to bring you very much. So I do take that point. I I just I think he completely faded. I think he he probably got in that position two or three times and just thought, what's this about? And he's he's just at a stage at Arsenal where he's just gone so stale that there was no sense of reinvention. There was no well, what else can I do? 
Um, and, you know, and, and that's made all the more stark in contrast by the fact that Nacho Monreal has managed to come up with, you know, that kind of answer twice in the last two games. And he's been able to, you know, play left-sided centre-back and left wing-back pretty well. And he's sure. been able to kind of vary up his game um, and adapt in-game to situations. You know, like I said, during the City uh, podcast, I, I thought he started a little bit unsure, but grew into the game. And, you know, this is a smart player that's thinking of in-game solutions, whereas Kieran Gibbs got to the byline three times. And, I, I you know, I do take Paul's, Paul's point. There is sympathy to be had there. But after that, it just looked like he went, oh, well... Uh, that's me done then and you know he he needs to go to another club um, for for his own sake quite desperately now I think but so then still I mean given all that would you prefer to have seen the change to have seen the change be a more attacking midfield option before we switch from the back three it's probably what I would have done yeah but maybe Gibbs would have been my next one yeah yeah I mean I, I I think that's totally fair um so my, my thoughts on Cochrane just are kind of like this. I, I think, first of all, some of the things he was doing really well in the beginning of the season, winning the ball back, creating that chaos that you guys speak of, um, I don't know that he's doing it as well now. A lot of the balls he recovered were actually balls that, that he was losing and, and kind of 50-50s that, that he won. And he is our best tackler, although he, he actually was credited with no tackles for the game. Um, the issue, a couple things. So first of all, that instinct to just run in like a whirling dervish and chal- and make the challenge and try to win the ball back, he's not executing as effectively anymore, and I think players are wise to it. And there were a couple situations where the ball just bypassed him, and he was on the ground 20 feet more advanced of where the ball was be- had been played in behind him. And I think on another day, or in another formation, that could have caused a lot of vulnerability. Um, if you're going to play like that, you have to get to the ball. And I I just think he doesn't have a lot of control or composure in the way he approaches recovering the ball sometimes. But in attack, I think you have the problem that opposition have basically sussed him out a little bit. And they give him a lot of room. And in general, they don't don't feel the need to mark him. And even in the attacking third, his decision-making is slow. And his eye for a, a, a dagger ball or a final ball or... A more adventurous pass is not great. And so when you have the ability to sink off of a midfielder in the attacking third and reallocate defensive resources to marking other players, you can tighten up everything else that's happening uh, in your defensive third. You can be more focused on danger players like Ozone Alexis, which I think Lester did well, and know that as they start to make those runs, if Cochrane gets the ball, he's not going to make the decisions fast enough to deliver it when it needs to be delivered. And so, you know, I think he ultimately winds up either playing a ball that has no chance to succeed, which we saw a couple of times, or more commonly takes that extra beat, that extra touch, turns his body, he has sort of the turning radius of a battleship, and then plays the safe pass. And none of this is to say that he ruins us as a team, but I think especially against, you know, sides like this that are going to sit deep, if he's going to be in that more advanced position and he's not just going to sort of be sitting up the pitch shielding a back four, which was really his heyday when he came in and was the savior of the season and we had that now much uh, revered performance at, at Manchester City, you know, when he's not working as that that sort of fifth defender shielding the back four, I think he gives teams a lot of options in terms of how to change their defensive approach to us because he can be kind of ignored, and that happened against Leicester. And this argument did not turn into the Battle Royal main event that I had hoped for in the intro. So I have to apologize, everyone, for the lack of animosity, acrimony, adversarial nature of this discussion. And I uh, assure you that there will be uh, greater and more argumentative uh, tones in the future. Um, That future... Includes the North London Derby. We're going to come to that in just a second, but I, I want to finish uh, the discussion of the Leicester game with just a quick reference to a moment that I think deserves a little bit of attention. Uh, Paul, I'll give you a go. I think a player who I was ready to consign to the uh, Sylvester Squillacci school of Arsenal defenders, uh, that pantheon, is Gabe, uh, Gabriel. Gabrielle. Gabe. Um, Gabe. Welcome there aboard. And while I am not prepared to uh, elevate him to Koscielny uh, uh, status, I, I think you have to be super impressed with how he's performed in the back three and the job he's done and just sort of his reinvention, his reinvigoration, his renewal as an Arsenal player could not be better typified or, or exemplified than by his 
incredible and important intervention after Koscielny goes down with the hyperextended knee and he swoops in from seemingly out of nowhere to make the block. Um, really a, game, a game-saving, three-point-saving moment from Gabriel. Have you been impressed, to say the least, with the way he has sort of rehabilitated himself uh, in this new system? Yeah, I think if you block off all games before and into the future from here, you can say he's he's been world-class for two, three games here. I mean, it's just obviously this suits him. Um, obviously, he knows this job. is It's a cross between centre-back and full-back, and Wenger talked about that, and it's bringing out his knowledge of that area of, of our game and all his attributes, and it brings out his athleticism, you know, he, he might not be the biggest center back, but he's a pretty physical animal to be one of three center backs manhandling an attack. So uh, he's, qu- he, you know, we did debate at one stage whether we thought Gabriel is fast. He's very, very fast. He's not, maybe not, maybe a shade behind Koscielny. Um I don't know if Koscielny is quite as fast this year. I think he's dealing with a lot of niggles along the way that have shaved a, a mile or two off his top gear. Um, but, you know, those two uh, are are kind of awesome sauce. Uh, when you go back to the previous game, how quickly he saw the run that had to be made to stop Sané two, three times. And then he, you put it with this one, this interception, which, well, it wasn't an interception, but it, it was effectively uh, intercepting the play. It w- wasn't just a block. It was like... He came from distance. He slid. He, he, you know, he, he. It was an interception. Intersection. He should have been worn, wearing a cape. Um, it was just. It. It was awesome. I mean, a block's a block at the end of the day. But you take those things into the dressing room and get backslapped by everybody around there. That kind of makes, helps make him within the team. And I think you throw a few for for the shit game that it was in some ways. And we lost Paul. Hello. Yeah. Hello. Yeah, For you're the back. Shit game it was in many aspects. Um, th- there were aspects that I really enjoyed, but I think there's because it wasn't just a stroll and a walk in the park, and we beat them three de- zero reasonably comfortably. Yeah, that would ch- <laughs> um, I think going forward, it it gives you this going into the NLD. You're never going to have a stroll in the park against those guys. It has it very clear in everybody's mind. Games are won. In those moments, defensively, uh, uh, Montreal led. I, I'm fine. I like the fact that it was an own goal that he leathered it because it was the best option at the time. And decided to stop fucking around. He just put everything he could into it. He didn't think it was going. You know, he might have prayed, but he didn't think it was going straight in. He just wanted to fucking hit it as hard as he could into the zone to see what happened. And you you take the Alexis moment and you take, you know, the throwing himself on the ground and the shithousery, wonderful stuff, uh, fucking up the opposition. And that's what you want going into the NLD. You don't want a, a, a 2-0 trot into that game. You, you want to go into the NLD knowing that uh, every means must be uh, employed mm-hmm. to come out of there with a result. You, you don't want to stroll. You want a fucking war. And and there yeah. was some of that in that Leicester game. Yeah, I agree. And and I mean, look, obviously going into North London Derby, way better to be coming off a relieving three points that keeps the run of success going, and yeah. rather than a disappointing home draw that that kind of stops some of that enthusiasm and and that good good feeling in the side. Um, before we get to the NLD, which we'll just spend a couple of minutes on, Tim, a, a quick word about Gabriel and just sort of about our recruitment in general. My question to you is, allow me to take a positive and turn it negative momentarily, <laughs> is is some of what we're seeing right now kind of a reminder of what's been wrong with the recruitment at Arsenal yeah. to some extent, which is that you buy players to fit the system you want to play. You don't just buy players because you think they're good and assume they'll be good however you choose to play. We're seeing in Gabriel a player who really works in this back three, really works, really seems to have the right attributes for it, but who just completely shit himself time and time again in a back four. Um, Is it kind of a reminder that players aren't just total interchangeable cogs and that with maybe very few exceptions, you do need to be 
thinking about your recruitment with an eye towards how you want to play. I mean, Shaka could be an example of that. You have a manager who said, oh, he's a box-to-box midfielder, and then he's like, well, he's really better when he, when he's going forward. Nah, actually, you know, he can't tackle, but he's got a you know good deep-lying uh, distribution. Do, do we need more of this more recruitment that fits a system and a tactic as opposed to just trying to buy good players? Yeah, absolutely. The, the analogy I'd probably use is that what, what we've been doing for the last couple of years is we've been trying to build the plane while it's already flying. Um, and, you, you know, listen, it, By the way, that is, that's United's next strategy. They're going to they're work on that next. That's their next, their P, next PR campaign. <laughs> but, um, you know, you, it, it's good to be adaptable and it's good to say, oh, do you know what? Like, you know, Ramsey on the right. Yeah, that works. Let's roll with that. That's, that's all fine. But it, it shouldn't be like your actual strategy <laughs> to just go, yeah, let's just see what all these players can do. Um, and it, it really does seem that way. And I, and I, I just don't get it. I don't understand it because I don't think that he used to do that. Um, I'm pretty sure. I don't know. Maybe he just got majorly lucky um, in the early years, but I'm pretty sure that he used to buy players and think, yeah, I'm going to buy him because he fits what I play. Maybe it was just easier to do in, in the days of 4-4-2 or 4-4-1-1. I'm fairly certain or... that ended when Nick Bentner started playing on the wing. <laughs> yeah, indeed. And I don't know whether perhaps the progression of the game tactically, because, you know, Wenger, if this back three proves something, he's, you know, he said, oh, well, it shows I can change with age. But actually what it shows is what what's always been true. And I don't mean this as a really stinging criticism, but when it comes to tactics, Arsene is a follower of trends. He's not a setter of trends, and he's usually fairly slow on the on the kind of because everyone just copies what works, right? And usually Arsene's one of the last to pick it up, really. Like when we went to four three three a few years ago, you know, Barcelona were well on their way to the, their second Champions League title, playing that way, and we kind of went, yeah, okay, that looks like that looks like it works. And, um, you know, that's fine, really. Um, You know, you don't win anything per se for being tactically the most innovative. Um, No, but it it sure as hell helps figure out who you need in your side, right? I mean, and that's really the issue. Like, say what you want about, like, Guardiola or or Mourinho or any of these guys, but, like, and Mourinho is a little different situation because United seem to just buy whoever's, you know, a blockbuster name. But, you, you know, you look at Guardiola and who he buys... In defense, for example, you know, he knows he wants ball players back there. He got rid of Joe Hart for Claudio Bravo, which just seems insane, and it hasn't worked out. But he has a clear ideology yeah. behind how or philosophy behind how he wants the the players at the back to play, and he he recruits based on that. I mean, isn't that kind of what you have to do, especially as prices yeah. skyrocket, Tim? Like, you can't afford to buy a a twenty eight million pound center back who can't play a back three if you're planning on switching to it, and vice versa, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, I've just been discussing an article um, this evening, actually, I I read on Football 365 this week by a guy called John Nicholson, who I I thoroughly recommend, very good football writer. And he wrote something about how um, in the Premier League, uh, he wasn't writing about Arsenal at all. I don't even think he references Arsenal um, in the article, but he talks about the Premier League in general. And he kind of said, you know, the richer that teams get, the lazier and the stupider they seem to get with their recruitment and he's saying you know look at squads like man u and man you know man united have have blown loads of money on a squad that still looks fairly unbalanced ditto man city who've blown the best part of half a billion on a squad that is so unbalanced it looks like it's going to fall over um you know they they've got some good individuals but really that isn't that is that is not a squad that looks like it's had you know that much money spent on it it's kind of good money after bad and he was saying, you know, you look at the Premier League in Europe at the moment and in the Champions League, and the Premier League is ridiculously well-resourced, and yet none of them are really using the resources that well. And you look at a team like Juventus, one of the best in Europe, but actually not many of their individuals per se are really, really highly rated. One of their most important players is Quadrado, who was considered surplus to requirements at Chelsea. Um you know they're 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 just they're 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 a good team made up of really good players, but they're they're still probably more than the sum of their parts. So are Atletico Madrid, 
and there aren't any English teams like that at the moment. And it's almost like the money, like um, the clubs think, right, we've got the money, so we don't really need to think about anything else. And what's interesting is that the more money that Arsenal's had at his disposal, or rather the more money he's spent, the squad's looked increasingly unbalanced. And it's almost like, um, you know, in it, again, to use another analogy, you know, Arsenal's that type of guy that needs to wait until the night before the assignment's due before he really gets cracking and does his best work. That's me, um, to a team. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, whereas on transfers now, you know, we've got this, like, this stats database and we've got a lot more money and it, it almost feels like it confuses things for us, um, which, which is really, really odd. Maybe he's just not used to working that way. Maybe, you know, he's not used to working with squads of this size. I, I tend to think that is par- partly the case. He's good at working with teams rather than squads, and it's increasingly becoming a squad game. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I still find it quite confusing, um, to be honest. Yeah, okay. Well, let's move on. I, I think that summarizes it well, and I, I think ultimately if Arsenal is going to stay, the man in charge, as we kind of assume he will, for better or worse, I mean, when it comes to recruitment, he's got the task on his hands of deciding what our footballing philosophy is going to be for the next couple of seasons and recruiting based on that, which is why, you know, I also think ultimately deciding on your manager is really important and why installing a, a, a director of football is really important because the club can decide this is our philosophy and we're going to recruit for this and our manager has to fit our philosophy or the manager can decide that. But if managers are only going to be there two, three years at a time, you probably want that direction coming from the club. Um, we can come on to that in a bit. But, Paul, uh, it's North London Derby at the weekend. We go to White Hart Lane, the last ever Derby at the lane, or this lane for a while anyway. Um, and it comes at a time when we could put maybe the final nail in the coffin of them having a title chance in theory when they could put the final nail in the coffin of us being able to finish in top four. But it's also just a Derby, and the Derby is independently significant. Um, you think we'll stay with the back three? And if so, what's your team? Yes. Um, so, quick question. What's the story on holding? I, I don't know. I gather he's got a, a little knock or something, but I, yeah. I've not really heard Wenger say much about it. Because that's the tough one for me. Because if, if he's available, I'd play him and have holding... Uh, oh, this is going to be contentious. Holding Koscielny and Gabrielle. Because if... Because I want to play Ox ahead as the right wing back. Question is where Bellerin goes, but how do you drop Gabriel? You could switch Gabriel to the left side as ho- if Holding's injured. But uh, let's assume almost everybody's available. If if we have Holding, what would we do? Is is one question. And I'd be loath to to drop Gabriel. Um, so tough call, but um, uh, yeah. I, Ugh. Oh, tough. So that's probably my remaining question. I'd like I like Monreal. I don't think we have a better anybody who comes close at the moment as the the left wing back. So that's why I'd want Monreal and Ox. And if that bumps Bellerin, so be it. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I really like Gabriel and what he's doing. So I might I might have to have a word with Bellerin and tell him why not today, Sonny. Uh, Chaka and Ramsey in midfield. Uh, Welbeck up front, Sanchez and Ozil. Uh, Sanchez on the left and Ozil in the middle, but them swapping back and forward. Uh, I disagree with at least one of us on the pod in terms of Sanchez. Um, I think he he's not going to see enough of the ball at centre forward. I think uh, he does great from swinging out to the left and he can swap with Ozil, and they can swap that wing position, and Sanchez gets into the number 10 position behind and around Welbeck. I like it. Um, I'm more in favor of Sanchez as the striker in a 4-2-3-1 than I am in this configuration. We're often going to have tr- be trying to wor- work the ball out from deep, and you know we all go back to, oh, when he played for Chile. Well, when he played for Chile, he did a lot of... Uh, counter-attacking and helping bring the ball out from deep from a wide position. So um, I, I like it generally in this configuration. 
and I like it at the North London Derby. I think he'll have a chance to get stuck in. So that'll be my lineup. Fair enough. Uh, real quick, Tim, how about you? I mean, is it do we just stay like we did against City and and go with maybe Welbeck instead of Giroud? What what do you fancy? What do you see happening? Yeah, I I I yeah, I'd like to see uh, Welbeck start with Ozil and Alexis in behind. I would be quite tempted to go Bellerin right wing back and play Chamberlain next to Xhaka. Um, just because I'm I'm quite wary about Tottenham's press, which is very, very good. I think having someone run at them from midfield would be a very, very good idea. Um, I think if you can break, if you can, well, it sounds like Dembele is a doubt for Spurs, which I think Ooh. would be huge. That would be fantastic. Uh, he's so he's, good. He's very, very good. Um, and having someone like Ox to kind of take them on and potentially break that press a little bit. Um, I think if you get Spurs running back towards their own goal um, and you get in their final third, you can hurt them. The the problem, the real problem with breaking down Spurs is getting past uh, Dembele and Wan- and Wanyama, and um, indeed they push you, they just push you and push you and push you back. So I think Chamberlain has to play um, one way or another, and I think he will, and I think that's why we didn't see him against Leicester. But yeah, I, I'd be quite tempted to see him alongside uh, Granite Jacker uh, with Bellerin at right wing back. Um, but I'm not sure that will happen. I think that Chamberlain might play right wing back and that Bellerin might drop back to the bench. I think that Welbeck will start up front, but other than that, everything else will probably be the same. If so, Rob Holding, so where does yeah, where do you play Gabriel? Uh, Gabriel in the back three. If Rob Holding isn't fit, um, I'm. It, it, I suppose it depends if Mustafi is. Um, by then, we haven't really heard much about him either. So, um, if neither Holding or Mustafi are fit, then I think he'll just put Monreal uh, left-sided centre-back and, and play Gibbs again. Um, so, I don't see too much changing. But, um, yeah, I, I think that Chamberlain will come back in at right wing-back. Ramsey will come back into midfield. And then we'll check on Holding slash Mustafi um, and that Welbeck will start up front. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Uh, we'll but see. Is Kachalny still fit? Well, apparently, yeah. Apparently, he needs to be checked on. Um, from what Arsene said last night, but yeah. So, so you know, there are some doubts over uh, some of those players in the back three. If if none of them make it, if Holding, Mustafi, and um, Kachalny are all injured, um, it'd be because then you're in pair territory, and do you bring? pair in for his first game of the season in, in a North London derby and strike me as a fantastic idea so he might in that scenario he might not have enough centre-halves to go to three centre-halves so um, that could give him a bit of a headache but I tend to think at least one of them will be available so if they're all fit Tim who's your back three mine um, would be I, oof, I definitely Gabriel and Koscielny between holding and Mustafi that's really difficult. I don't think holding has done anything to be dropped at all, but this is, this is really, you know, this is the absolute, this is as intense as it gets in terms of the team we're playing, where we're playing them, what the game means. It's absolutely enormous. Um, And it would be an enormous show of faith in him to, to play him. And I'm not saying he doesn't warrant that per se, but, I, I could see a case for erring on the side of caution there because, you know, if if he fucks up in a game like this, um, you know, that that might not be particularly helpful. So Yeah, um, but but it's really tough to pick the three, but it's also really tough to decide if you pick your three, if you don't play Gabrielle on the right. Mm. So if you go Koscielny, Gabrielle on the right, then where you put Bellerin. Uh, I guess you solved it by putting Ox in midfield, but that's not going to happen, is it? No, no, I don't think so. I, so, I think so if ideally... I block you, if, if I can play a little kind of checkers, if I block you with the Ox going to the midfield, if he's going to play on the wing, which seems most likely, mm. and Koscielny's at centre-back, then who are your two wing-backs? Because this is what I really struggled with. Um, I, I think he'll, he'll bring Chamberlain back in at wing-back and that Bellerin will drop to the bench. Yeah, and then Gabriella right back and holding, yeah, holding at left. And then probably holding. 
Bellerin's dropped. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that's what I think will happen. Yeah. Get a room, you guys. Uh, that's going to do it. <laughs> we'll talk to you after the North London Derby. Tim, stay safe, please. We uh, uh, Yeah, I'll try. <laughs> we need you for social media sharing and SEO, so you know, please please try to have nothing happen to you. Paul, uh, I hope nothing happens to you in whatever hotel room, parking lot, or living room you're watching in. Oh, it's vicious. Vicious. Paul's on Twitter at Pausing in My Pants. Thanks, Paz. Pleasure. Tim is on Twitter at Stilberto. Tim, Godspeed. Pleasure as always. My name's Elliot Smith. Block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Clive will probably join us after the Derby. Uh, continue to write those terrible reviews about him, but make sure they're five-star so people notice them. In any event, up the Arsenal. Come on. Up the Big Arsenal. Win. Up the Arsenal, everybody. Let's go. Come on, Arsenal. Come on, Arsenal. Okay. Don't play Cochrane. Ha! Winning. Talk to you after.